You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Right. Good to see you guys here today. Kind of feel like Superman back there doing a little quick change. <laughs> but uh, it's good to see you guys. I, I'm a guy who loves a good movie. Anybody love a good movie? Just like to see him. There's, I heard some good ones that came out this weekend. But I, I love movies, and I love those movies that have like that that scene where somebody's saying goodbye to the hero or goodbye to their close friend, you know? It seems like in all my favorite movies, there's that scene where somebody is saying goodbye. Not because they said they're dying or anything, but, but because, you know, they gotta go, they gotta move on. So it's the hero riding in the sunset, you know, or, or, or whatever. And, and so I think of movies like E.T. Remember E.T.? And, and, and Elliot is saying, you know, goodbye to E.T. And uh, in that sad moment, uh, you know, Elliot's like, stay here. And, uh, and E.T.'s like, no, you come with me. And they realize that this is goodbye, you know. And it's just touched. Got me as an eight-year-old. I remember tearing up back then. It still gets me uh, to this day. I, I also remember the movie Forrest Gump. Remember that movie? And, and uh, maybe really sad movie towards the end. Jenny, you know, passes away. Jenny passes away. And... Um, and he's standing over her grave, and, and, and he's saying goodbye to her. And that really touching moment is when he tells her that their son is smart. Remember, because he was worried that he was going to, you know, not be smart. And so, man, it's just saying goodbye. That, that moment just gets me. And uh, it's the movie Gladiator. And uh, remember, as the, the character Russell Crowe is playing, he's, he's dying and his final breaths, he's saying goodbye, and he restores power to the Senate, you know, and his dying breath, his dying words, and they're like, yes, that's exactly what needed to happen. It was the movie uh, Lord of the Rings. Remember Frodo, after like 25 hours worth of movie, <laughs> you get to the end, and uh, finally, you know, Frodo's saying goodbye to his buddies and, and Sam Wise because he's got to go to the undying land, and, and uh, just a sad, touching moment as they embrace. It's the movie Toy Story 3. And all the parents remember this tearjerker. It's, it's when Andy says goodbye to his toys and he gives them to the little girl. You know, if, you, if you're a parent and you didn't cry in that movie, something's wrong with your soul. Like that movie like got me. Like I just remember it, it, it was tough. And then Castaway. Uh, I, I mean, Castaway fans, like I love Castaway. Remember when he says goodbye to Wilson? Like Wilson is a volleyball. But I'm telling you, in that moment, you're sad, aren't you? <laughs> like your soul is being ripped apart here that he lost his only friend for however many years he was there. You know, goodbyes can be really difficult. And, uh, you know, if you've ever had to tell a family member goodbye or uh, a group of friends goodbye, you moved from one city to another city or, or you left the job and, and you went to a new job saying goodbye is a really difficult thing to do. And, and uh, I, I just want you to imagine today what those emotions would be in your life if, if you had to tell your close family members, your close friends goodbye. You knew you were never going to see them again. And, and, and I want you to imagine, what would you tell them? What would your final words to them be? What, what would the theme be? I think what those words would be is really a window into our heart. Because those things that we would say in that last moment, we're never going to see you again. If it was your child, if it was your, you know, if it was a close friend or family member, those, those words, those things that you would share would be the things that are most valuable to you, those things that you, you uh, hold in high esteem, those things in life that matter the most to you. 
And in our scripture today, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 20. Paul is saying goodbye to his dearest, closest friends. And the words that he shares in this goodbye scene are some of the most powerful words that we read in his life. He, he gives them this example of his life, and in so doing, he's reminding them how they too must serve the Lord faithfully. And so that's really the question today that I want us to answer. Like, how do we serve the Lord faithfully? How do you know if you're being, you know, a good follower of Jesus? How do you know if, if you're doing, you know, this faith thing in an authentic, real way, you're pleasing God with your life? How do you know that you're serving the Lord faithfully? Well, as he tells the elders of the Ephesian church goodbye, we're going to see some themes that, that come to life that are going to uh, help us get our life in order, in order to say that we too serve the Lord faithfully. He served in Ephesus for, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, for uh, three years. He's been serving them, preaching, teaching. They've been doing life together. They're eating together. And as he plants this church, he, he moves on. And uh, after going to a couple of other cities, he feels like God is calling him to go back to Jerusalem. And so he wants to get there before Passover. And so he's kind of in a hurry. And so he's about 20 miles away from Ephesus in a boat. He pulls over. He calls for the elders to come uh, from Ephesus to spend time with them. And that's where we pick up today in our scripture. Here's what he uh, tells them, a very heartfelt goodbye. He says this, verse 18, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what's gonna happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Well, it's pause there. We'll continue in just a moment, but I want to pull out the themes that I think that we're seeing the answer to the question, how do we serve the Lord faithfully? I think in verse 19, we see it, verse 18, he says, with all humility. And so if we're going to serve the Lord faithfully, the first thing I would say is we've got to think of others more than ourselves. Think of others more than yourself. And I would ask you today, if you were going to kind of rank yourself on a scale one to ten, uh, 10 being I think of others all the time, and one being I only think about myself, where would you fall on that scale? Are you someone who actively thinks about other people and how, <clears throat> how to serve other people and meet other people's needs more so than your own needs? This is what the word humility means. It means that we are humbly serving. We are thinking of others more than we think of ourselves. Now, obviously, Jesus is the ultimate example of this, isn't he? 
I was thinking about this this week, that the night before he is murdered, he's eating the Last Supper with the disciples, and he washes their feet. I mean, think about this. The night you are about to be killed, you're, you're setting an example and you're serving one of the, the lowest forms of servanthood in that culture, and this is Jesus serving the disciples. Now, the night before I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm thinking about me, man. I'm thinking about what I need. I'm probably gonna whine a lot. I'm gonna want people to do stuff for me. You know, I'm gonna be crying. I'm gonna be a wreck, you know? And I know that's true of me because it doesn't take me knowing I'm gonna die to put me in that selfish way of thinking. All it takes for me is things like a busy week. Busy week, boom, selfish mindset. Got a lot of meetings, got a lot of stuff going on, you know, a lot of deadlines. I got a lot of stuff going on. And so uh, that busyness, what I do is I go home and my temptation is then to think of my own needs before everybody else in my family. And so, you know, I'm short with my kids. I'm, I'm, I'm short and snippy with my wife, you know, because I've got pressure and I'm thinking about me. And, and so whether it's dinner's not, you know, the way I want it or you guys are bothering me. I, I, can't you see I'm important here? Go do something else. Leave me alone because I've got to do something, right? What do we do? We, we quickly go to that mindset of, of me first. We quickly go to that mindset that, that you guys need to be serving me and, and taking care of my needs, not the other way around. Do you serve in humility? Single ladies, you should look for a humble man. Don't just look for a good guy. Look for a godly man. Someone who has submitted, submitted, themselves, submitted themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They've submitted to his will that put your needs and put the needs of other people before them. Listen, if all he does is think about himself, he's not going to just automatically change once you get a hold of him or once you get married, right? You need to look for a godly man that demonstrates humility. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourself. All of you spent time this morning putting clothes on. And so you thought about what you were going to wear. Some of you thought a little bit longer than others of you, we can tell. But you still thought about clothing yourself today, and we're glad that you did. And so what he's teaching us here is we've got to think about putting on humility. We've got to pray for it. We've got to ask God to give us a humble heart. We want to work towards it. We want to prayerfully think about it. God says, I oppose the proud. Like if, if we are allowing pride to grow in our heart, I don't need anybody. I got this. I don't need anybody's help. It's all about me mentality. He says, you are opposing God. I, I don't think that's a position that any of us want to uh, actually be in today. I think a couple of good questions to think about as far as humility is, are you willing to get input from other people? At work, are you someone that, that gathers input from other people? Are you someone on the team that, that would, would ask other people's opinion? Or do you have it all figured out and, and, and you don't need any input, so you're good, and so that would lead other people to kind of perceive you as arrogant or prideful, and so do we receive input? Do you apologize? Are you quick to say you're sorry? Are you quick to recognize that you made a mistake? Or are you, are you the one that always blames other people? That's not my fault, it's his fault. That's not my fault, it happened, it's their fault. 
You know, that's a sign that that pride has entered your heart. And so, so he would call us to think of others before we would think of our own needs. That same chapter in 1 Peter verses 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He may exalt you. God is the one that exalts. God is the one that, that, that exalts you and I. We spend so much energy and time trying to exalt our own status, trying to exalt our own uh, life. And, and so it's gathering things to build our kingdom. And, and he says, that's not the way that you honor me. If you want to serve the Lord faithfully, you've got to submit to his plan and submit to his will. And at the proper time, he will, in fact, exalt you. So the first thing, if we want to serve the Lord faithfully, is to think of others more than yourself. But secondly here, we want to declare the truth. Declare the truth. Look again at verse 20 and 21. He says, look, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you what was profitable. I was teaching you in public. I was teaching you in private. And what was he teaching? Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this is the gospel truth. Declaring the truth that Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we will pay for our sins in eternity in a place called hell. And we are so driven by that reality and fact that, that we would plead with those in our life, those who are far from God, to repent of sin and put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus alone. It's not always received well, is it? And I think a lot of times we are afraid of how people are going to receive the truth. And so that fear would would lead some of us not to share it. That's why some of you don't readily talk about your faith at work. You don't readily talk about your faith with friends. Why? You're afraid of how they're going to receive it. And so Paul here would say, don't shrink back. Don't shrink away from the gospel truth. I think when I first started preaching, it was one of the things that I had to get over uh, because I was really worried about how people would receive the messages that I would preach. And so, you know, I would, I would want to see decisions made. I would want to see people give me feedback, positive feedback. And if I didn't get the feedback, if I didn't get, you know, if I didn't see people, you know, getting saved or raising their hands or moving, and, 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 and I started to take that personally, like, man, are, was it good enough? Did they receive it? I, I, what, what's going on here? And what I began to realize is that I, I, a lot of times I was expecting the work and the change to, to happen and flow through what I was going to say. But what I had to realize and what you have to realize is that when someone rejects the gospel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. So I don't take offense anymore. It's like that, what I do is if I, if I spent the, the, the right amount of time in study and preparation and, and I teach with all of my heart as, as my worship to God, then, then that's success for me. If, if, if I gave, now the results are up to the Holy Spirit. I, I don't change you. It's not the eloquence of anything that I share or say. The Spirit of God is the one that changes. The Spirit of God is the one that, 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 that allows people to come to faith. And so I, I just am able to say, you know what, it's not that you're rejecting me, it's you're rejecting you know, the truth of God's word. And, and so I would encourage you to think in those same terms, like don't shrink away from telling someone the gospel. Don't shrink away from sharing the truth with those that you love, with your friends and, and those in your circle of influence. Don't shrink away because you think they're going to reject you. It's not you, it's, it's the spirit of God that they are pushing 
away, but we're not going to give up if they, in fact, do that. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He's my favorite pastor in the history of the church, and here's what he says, other than Jesus, obviously. I guess I have to say that. Here's what he says. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Ah, love that. Think about that. The imagery that you get from that, that sentence, like, like that we would, we would implore and we would persuade and we would wrap our arms around their knees and say, don't go. We're not gonna let anyone in our life go unwarned or unprayed for. We wanna share the gospel truth with you. Believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus. He's the hope of the world. Without him, you will spend an eternity in hell. I love the imagery. And I just wonder, are we a people, are we a church that could say, that's my life, that's how I live? I would say this, you've got a lot of friends in your life, but you cannot call yourself a friend if you don't share the gospel with that person. You don't really care about them unless you are willing to share the gospel with them. Let that sit in, in, in your heart and think about that this week because there are people in your life that you're afraid to talk about uh, Jesus with, you're afraid to share the truth with, right? You're worried about how they're gonna respond or how they're gonna react. And, and, and just imagine, what if you said, you know what? I wanna, I wanna exemplify uh, the, the life of Paul here. I'm gonna share with at least one person this week that's in my circle of influence. And just imagine if instead of rejecting the Spirit of God, they receive Christ by faith and they accept Christ. I mean, how amazing would that be because you took that step and you shared. Fast forward about a year after they grew a little bit and they're in our church, you ever think in their mind they wouldn't say, huh, like we were friends for 20 years. Why did you just then share the gospel with me? What were you waiting on? What, what was it that you were, you were you know, worried about that, that you wouldn't share this with me? I, I readily wanted Christ in my life. I found freedom. I found hope. I found forgiveness. Why didn't you share it with me sooner? I mean, that's a, that's a real concern that every single one of us need to think through. You're not called to save anybody. You're not, you're not called to change anybody. You're called to be an ambassador of Christ. You were saved for a purpose and a mission. And part of that purpose and mission is to share the truth. Paul declares the truth and we see it all throughout his life. He says, I did it publicly and I did it privately. He says it clearly in verse 20. And so this is why we see another example that we each have a public ministry. And, and so, you know, whether we are in large group speaking or large group, we have influence, but we also in small groups meet to talk about the gospel and to talk about our faith. And, and that's what we see all throughout the New Testament. Large group settings, yes, we gather for worship, but then we also gather into small groups. And an example of a small group meeting uh, is in verse seven of the same chapter. So let's look uh, a little rewind here and go to verse seven. And uh, here's what is happening in their small group. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, so they were gathering on the, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, 
Paul talked with them, intending to depart, uh, to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. <laughs> a little bit of a long sermon here. Some of you think I preach a long time. Uh, at least we're not here till midnight. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. <laughs> and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now look, the Bible never tells us how long a sermon should be. I try to stay just under where Paul was that night. Like, a lot of people have fallen asleep in my messages. <laughs> so far, no fatalities. And so I want to keep that streak alive, right? And so what we're seeing here is Paul's preaching and talking and talking and talking. And, you know, you've been in small group where your leader goes on and on and on, you know. He goes so long that this, this young man's in the, in the window seal. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure why he doesn't kind of sense the, the sleepiness hitting, you know, his brain and him thinking, okay, I'm getting a little tired here. I better get off the balcony so I don't fall. But he doesn't think about that. He just stays there, falls asleep. He falls from the window and he dies, all right? How, 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 like, you know, guilty does Paul feel at this moment? Like, oh my gosh, was I that boring? I've, I've preached some bad sermons, like, but I've never killed anybody. And, and so, so here's, here's what happens next. Verse 10, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Whew. He prays, God saves him, brings it back to life. And when Paul had gone up, he had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a little while longer <laughs> until daybreak. I mean, think about this. It's like, dude, we just bought, dodged a bullet here. Let's, let's go to bed. No, I'm going to keep going, man. And, and what we just see here is this dedication to teach, this dedication to declare the truth of God's word. And, and uh, I, I think for you and I, this is an example of a commitment to share the truth. Now, you may not be, you know, called to preach on a stage in front of people, but every single one of us has been given this ministry of reconciliation, 1 Corinthians talks about, of, of leading people to Christ. And so Paul was a tent maker in the morning. He taught and preached and shared in the afternoon all the way into the evening and this night until the you know, early morning uh, light. And so the example for us is, is a reality as well. He's committed to the truth. Thirdly, we see that he is committed to fulfilling his calling. And so if you want to serve the Lord faithfully, not only do we have to declare the truth, but we've got to fulfill our calling. Look again here at verse 24. He says, I do not account my life of any value. It's, it's not precious to, to me. If only I may finish my course, his course, his, his race, as he said in, in other uh, books of the Bible, and the ministry that he received from the Lord. So this is his calling. His calling is the race that God gave to him. His, his calling is, is the ministry that Jesus gave to him specifically. And I would say that every single one of you in the room today have a calling upon your life. The question is, are you pursuing that calling? And I don't care if you're a teenager in middle school or, uh, middle school or high school or a college student, or you're you know, an old, uh, seasoned, you know, mature man or woman of God. God has a calling upon your life. What is that calling? If you're not trying to figure that out, if you're not living in that calling, what are you, what are you doing? 
Do you really understand what it means to follow Jesus? Like he has a race. Your race is different than my race. Like what, what God calls you to do, whoa, what God calls you to do is different than what God has called me to do. But at the same time, we've got to figure that out. That's part of, of what it means to uh, like be a mature man of God. And verse 22, he says he is constrained by the Spirit, constrained by the Spirit. Like he knows this is what God is calling him to do. And so he's, he's going to move forward. This is your calling. Like I feel like I love teenagers. I, I love discipleship. I love sharing my faith. What is it? What do you love doing, this passion that God has put into your heart? And God uses that love and that passion with your talents and your skills and your experiences and the spiritual gifts that he's given to you, and you discover what God is calling you to do. And when you begin to fulfill that calling in your life, you begin to, 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 to walk into this journey with God that you've never experienced before. This is what our journey process really is all about, starting with base camp and Camp 2 really dives into helping you discover what your calling truly is. He says, I'm constrained by the Spirit, but he also says in verse 22, not knowing what will happen. Not knowing what will happen. I'm constrained to go to Jerusalem. I'm constrained to do this, but I don't know what's going to happen as I follow God. Now, some of you need to meditate on this for the rest of the week, not knowing what's going to happen because you're so meticulous and you're so, you're a planner and you've got to know. And if you go and you make this decision and you take this step, then you got to know that, okay, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And that, listen, you don't always know what's going to happen, do you? In fact, most of our uh, journey with the Lord is, is the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. That's why it's called faith. If we knew what's going to happen, then it wouldn't take any faith, right? And so, so, constrained to move. I don't know what's going to happen. Some of you need to take that next step of faith in your life. Maybe today is that, that nudge, that push to get you involved in ministry, to get you involved in the journey process, to, to engage a small group, to, to start fulfilling your calling. Why? Because you're never going to know exactly how it's going to work out, but you've got to take the step that God puts before you, what he is calling you to do. I love what he says. He says, not knowing what's going to happen. But verse 23 says, I'm only sure of this one thing. I'm going to move forward. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm sure of this. Imprisonment and affliction await me. <laughs> and some of you know that serving the Lord, this is part of what the reality is. It's not easy. It's not always simple. It's not always explained to a T, right? We follow and trust the Lord. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I assure you there is one thing that will happen in this life as you serve Jesus. It will be painful. And some people have walked away from the Lord. They've walked away from the church because it was painful. But God is not calling us to a life of, of pleasure and comfort and no problems. We live in a sinful world. We are in a battle. What he promises us, that he has overcome the world so that he is going to give us power and strength and joy despite any circumstance that you and I face. And so we don't know. We know it's going to be difficult, so we're not surprised when it's difficult, but we continue to press forward and serve the Lord and how he's called us. Verse 24, he says, look, my life is not important to me. Yes, his life is precious. His life is valuable. But he says, I don't use my life for myself. What he is saying here, and this is really the the, the, the bottom line for, for this whole passage of Scripture 
And it's that serving Jesus is better than life. I'm going to run my race. My life is not the most valuable thing. The most valuable thing is the Lord Jesus. And I want to do anything and everything to lift up the name of Jesus and to share the truth of God's word with those in my life. Serving Jesus is better than life. And his entire life points to this reality. I think at this point, every single one of us would say, you know what, Paul? We're going to give you a, a break, man. You've planted all these churches. You, you don't have to go to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, don't go. If you, if you know persecution and problems await you there, just let's, let's go to the beach, man. Let's relax. Let's retire. You've done, you know, a lot of great things. Just retire. But Paul's not going to do that. Because retirement is nowhere taught in the Bible. <laughs> That's a, an American dream uh, uh, theology. That's an American dream mentality. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you and I get to retire. Now, your, your employer uh, is going to uh, want you to retire at some point, right? You're going to leave your job in one of two ways, when you want to leave or when they want you to leave. <laughs> Either way, you're, you're going to retire at some point, right? And so you're going to leave the nine to, to five routine. And, and, and that's part of, you know, why we save in the 401k. And those are great, great things. Nothing wrong with that. But you never retire from the gospel. You never retire from ministry. You, you never see in the New Testament, you know, oh, Paul has finally kind of reached that point to where now he doesn't have to worry about you know, serving Jesus faithfully. That's never going to happen to you. My parents are a good example of this. They've been in ministry almost 50 years. Dad served as the pastor at Grace in Knoxville for 28 years. And uh, a couple years ago, uh, stepped away, retired. A couple months after that retirement, uh, started doing an interim pastor at a church not far from here. Why? Because, you know, retired from the nine to five, yeah, lo- looks a little bit different, but not from gospel ministry. Right, and so that term ended up. Now they're a part of our church, and and uh, now they they're starting a small group, serving on Sunday morning. Why? Because you don't retire from the ministry. Now some of you guys are retired, and and, and you're retired from your employment, and that's great. On Thursday mornings, we have a group of, of men and folks that come in here and serve our church who are retired. If you want to be a part of that, they, they fix things, they, they 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 address issues with the building, all kinds of cool things that they're a part of doing, and a great way to to, to serve. But yeah, it's different. You've got some time and, 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 and maybe you're traveling a little bit. Nothing wrong with any of that. But this whole idea that I'm going to end my career at this employer and then I'm going to move to Florida on the golf course and play golf every day and sit at the beach for the rest of my life is not a biblical principle. Move to Florida if you want. Great. But get involved in a local church there and serve the Lord with all of your heart until your dying day. This is the example that we see from the Lord. It's a reassignment for the king, not a retirement from the gospel. Finally, the last point here. My Bible's all messed up now after it dropped. Here we go. Look at chapter 20 and look at the, let's look at verse 32. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, 
we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we are going to serve the Lord faithfully, then not only do we need to share the truth, not only do you and I need to be willing to think of others more than ourselves, but we also must be willing to give more than what's expected. Give more than what's expected. You see, when Valentine's Day rolled around this past week, guys, you didn't, you know, think about the gift that you were going to give to your girlfriend and think, hmm, what's the least amount I can give to her? Like, you're trying to marry this girl, right? You're trying to win her over so that you can get married and live happily ever after. You don't come to Valentine's Day on the threshold of a potential proposal and think to yourself, how can I give the very least to this girl? You don't do that. As a parent, you don't look at your children and you don't think, mm, what, can I, what can I do to kind of give the very least amount to my children? You know, look, you got a roof over your head. I fed you. What more do you want from me, right? Like that's not your attitude when it comes to your children. It's not your attitude when you're, when you're dating someone that you want to marry. You want to go over and above Right? You, you want to give more than what's expected. Some people come to church and we think, man, Jesus, I'm going to give to you my time, my talents, my treasures, the very least amount possible. I'm really busy and I'm really important. And so I don't have a lot of time to give to you. So I'm going to give you the very least amount that I can possibly give you. Lord, I, I, you've really gifted me. And I've got, you know, this cool job and I'm a leader and I've got a lot of cool stuff happening. And, and uh, so my, my thanks to you for giving me all these talents is, is that I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the kingdom of God the gift of my talents, the very least amount possible. <laughs> God, you blessed me with resources and, and uh, man, I've got a nice house. I've got these nice things. But when it comes to giving to you, Lord, I'm gonna give to you the very least amount. Like we would never say that but the reality is some of you are actually doing that. And so Paul would say, look, Jesus reminds us, like, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You want to be blessed, you want to serve faithfully, and you got to give more than what's expected of you. I think in the area of finances, one of the greatest courses we teach here is called Financial Peace. And every uh, year we've taught this for the last five or six years, and uh, if you're if you're someone who wants to honor God with your wealth, if you want to learn how to build wealth, if you want to learn how to get out of debt, this will grow you uh, closer to the Lord. If you've never gone through this, you don't uh, understand really how to manage resources. Maybe you're in trouble uh, financially in some ways. Financial peace is an incredible course, and I've seen people's lives change every year that we've offered this. And it starts a week from tomorrow, February 26th. And would encourage you to sign up for that and, and be a part of that. It'd be a great way for you to take that step of faith. And, and I think serving the Lord faithfully would lead each of us to think of others more than ourselves, would, would lead us to declare the truth, would lead us to fulfill our calling, would lead us to give more than what's expected. And if, and if you don't do this, if this isn't a part of your life, then the reality will be when you are saying goodbye to your loved ones, and the window to your heart is exposed. If you don't make this a reality today, 
your final words are gonna be superficial. And so my encouragement for you today is to imagine what it would look like if you started giving more. If you started giving more than what's expected to your family, to your church, financially to the Lord. If you truly started to put other people and their needs ahead of your own, what, what would that look like? If, if you truly decided, I'm gonna share my faith with that person that I've been a friend with for so many years, they're gonna have to jump over my dead body to go to hell because I'm gonna do everything that I can to share the truth with them. You know, our No Place Left campaign has started and we've prayed for almost 5,000 homes so far. And so I'm excited about that, but I also know that there's many, many homes left. And if you don't know what that is, go, to, go online and, and click on No Place Left. I, I share uh, really briefly in a video what we're trying to accomplish here, but what we're trying to do is, is prayer walk every neighborhood and street and home in our city because we don't want any home to go unprayed for. And so it's very simple. It's a little app that you, that you get. And as soon as you pray for that home, there's also a little prayer guide there that you can use uh, to help you pray for people as you're walking the dog, as you're walking the neighborhood. And uh, once you do that, you just kind of click the little box and shows us that that house was prayed for. And, and so we're trying to systematically do this. Man, I hope that you'll join us. We need your help. There's a lot of people, a lot of homes in our city, and, and we need every single one of you participating Imagine what it would look like or what it will look like for our church and for this city once we've prayed for every single home. Imagine what God will do. Imagine how God's gonna answer those prayers over the coming years. I think in the next two, three, four years, we're gonna look back on this act of faithfulness and we're gonna see, man, God answered the prayers of his people and we're not gonna believe the blessing that God's gonna give to us. Let me ask you to bow your heads. I wonder today as we close if, if maybe thinking of others more than yourself is, is really the, the point that stuck with you the most today. I wonder if that's the one that, that God really said, yep, that's you, that's really what you need to consider. I wonder if it was the, the declaring truth to friends, declaring truth in your life. I wonder if that's the one that really stuck because Truth is, it's not something you've, you've really done that well at. And perhaps, you know, for you, it's, you haven't really stepped into your, your calling yet. That's not something you've pursued, or maybe it's just you're giving the very least. These are tough things. I get it. My encouragement for you is to pick one of these four points, one of these four issues. Think about it. Pray about it. Take a step of faith this week. Get involved in our journey process. Start giving a little bit more. Start sharing a little bit more. That will be the faithfulness that God honors and blesses and what God uses in your life to impact those close to you. Father, we're asking for the grace and love to model the ministry of Paul. We want to be seen we want to live as he lived. We, we want to embrace these truths. And the, the truth is we're, we need so much help. And so we're asking you to convict us, asking you to draw us into that and asking, Lord, for your presence and your power to fill us that we could boldly serve you with faithfulness 
as we leave today. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.